Well, I came in cold, but man, worship was so awesome this morning. I'm starting to heat up a little bit. So good to see everybody here this morning. I know it's a cold morning, and when it's cold or when it's rainy, it's hard to get out. But I just appreciate your commitment to the Lord, wanting to be here to worship Him today. We also want to welcome those of you who are joining us online for our worship. We're so glad that you're tuning in as well. If you're just tuning in for the first time or if you're visiting with us today, right now we're in a series that's all about walking. We're, for the last couple of weeks, talking about walking with God. And so we've talked about several things. We've talked about walking differently. We've talked about walking gracefully. Last week, we talked about that first step in our walk. We talked about baptism. And if you've missed any of these lessons, I want to encourage you to go back and you can watch them off of our church webpage or our church Facebook page. We also have a church podcast, so you can plug that in and listen to it as you're going down the road, but we want to encourage you to do that. Today, we're going to continue our series by talking about what I'm going to call power walking. And I'm going to unpack that this morning as we look at James chapter 5, you can go ahead and be turning there in your Bibles if you would like. While you're turning there, I want you to think about this question. How many of you have ever thought, why pray? Why pray? I mean, I mean, if God already knows everything already anyway, you ever thought about that? Then why pray? Or maybe some of you are thinking, well, you know, I used to pray. But it just doesn't seem like God listens to me. I mean, I prayed for someone that I really care about to be healed. And, and I prayed for my, for my job to be saved. And, and I prayed for my marriage to be saved. And God did absolutely nothing about that. And so I'm just wondering, I mean, are my prayers even being heard? I mean, why pray? Well, look at James chapter 5. And we're going to start reading in verse 13. Notice what James says. Is anyone among you in what church? In trouble, then let them pray. Why pray? Well, because we're in trouble. How many of you have had your fair share of trouble? Um, maybe it's financial trouble. Maybe it's trouble at work. Maybe it's marital trouble. Trouble at home with the kids. Maybe it's emotional trouble. But I think probably all of us, maybe we're not going through something right now, but at some point in our lives, I think all of us have experienced trouble. In the Gallup report reports that 9 out of 10 Americans say that they pray. And let's be honest, trouble is the main reason why, right? I mean, that, that's typically when, man, we start to really get refocused when it comes to God is when things aren't exactly going our way. In fact, the word prayer comes from the Latin word Precarious. It's where we get our English word predicament. 
We pray in precarious situations. We pray when we're in trouble. We pray when our situation is desperate. We pray when there's nowhere else to turn. We pray when we go in for that routine physical or doctor's appointment and it ends up being our worst nightmare. We pray when we hit some unexpected turbulence on an airplane. (laughs) When our family was coming back last month from California, man, we hit some unexpected turbulence. And I'm telling you, if we all hadn't have had our seatbelts fastened, there would have been some people launched, okay? I mean, right out into the floor of the airplane. And when it happened, I just started looking around and people grabbing the, the seats and they're closing their eyes. And you know what they're doing, right? Same thing I was doing. I was praying. And I was like, Lord, please just let me get to California and help me to get there in one piece. You see, in situations like that, there are no atheists, right? When we're in, t- when we're in trouble, people pray. About a week ago, it was a Friday morning, and Julie received a phone call, and I was just kind of standing next to her, watching her expressions as she took this call. And... I could tell just by her facial expression that something was wrong. She almost looked panicked. She looked like she was getting ready to cry. And so I made eye contact with her. And I was trying not to be rude, but I looked at her and I said, what's wrong? What's going on? And she put the phone on speaker and it was Lena, our daughter. And she was telling Julie that our grandson, Ryder, had turned red and he wasn't breathing well And man, I just immediately began to pray. I began to call out to God. Really, I I began to beg God that He would take care of Ryder and that He would be with Luke and Lena as they went through that with Him. And thank God, He ended up being okay. But in that moment, all I could do and all Julie could do was the best thing that we could do And that was to pray. James says, whenever you're in trouble, your heavenly Father wants you to pray. He wants you to come to Him. I mean, I know that when my kids are in trouble, I want them coming to me. And and for those of you who are parents, I bet you want the same from your kids. I mean, if they have a need... Then, then you want to try and, and help them in, in whatever way that you can. Now, there are times when our kids come to us and maybe we don't always respond to that need in the way they want us re- to respond, but, but we have in mind, we, we try and do for them what we think is best in their situation. And I think about how that relates to God. God always has our best interest in concern, in mind. Listen, don't think, well, there's no need in asking God. God's going to do what God's going to do anyway. He's already made up His mind. That's like saying, my dad told me that I couldn't drive the car. He's made up His mind, and so I shouldn't ever ask Him again. Well, you were 14 when you asked the, the first time. 
I, I remember when Charleston was 13, 14 years old, she would beg me. She would say, Dad, take me out to, to one of the church parking lots and, and just let me drive around where there's no traffic. And I kept pushing her off, even though Eddie... Her and one of our policemen was like, hey, you can let her drive, you know. And, and I, I kept pushing her. I'm like, no, you cannot drive. But when she hit 15, she asked me again. And she said, Dad, can I drive? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. You got your permit. Let's do it. But I think sometimes we're tempted to have this picture of God that God isn't flexible, that God isn't caring, that God is stubborn, that He's just this old guy that's like, you know, I've made up my mind and I'm not listening to your request. I don't want to hear it. But then we get a true, accurate picture of God in the book of Revelation. When you turn over to Revelation chapter 8, you read about lightning and thunder and earthquake, earthquakes and smoke that's taking place in heaven. And there's singing. There's singing around the throne of God. But then as you continue to read, all heaven goes silent. And do you know why? Because the prayers of God's people are rising up to heaven. And that is just the coolest thought that all heaven stops. All heaven goes silent so that your prayers and my prayers can go before God. He listens. He cares and He acts upon our requests. I think about Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 11, and this is Jesus Himself speaking. He says, you parents, He says, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a, a snake? He says, of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, notice what he says, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who what church? Who ask Him. God listens to our request. Now, notice in this particular passage, it doesn't say that if you ask for bread, that God will give you bread, or if you ask for fish, that God will give you fish. But notice what it says. Your heavenly Father will give you good gifts. He's going to give you what you need. But He hears your request. I think there's an awesome example of this in the Old Testament. Don't have time to read it. I want to encourage you to go back and do it in your own personal study. But 2 Kings chapter 20, you have King Hezekiah who gets sick. And God sends the prophet Isaiah to to King Hezekiah to tell him, listen, this is it. You're not going to get, you're not going to get well. And so you need to go ahead and you need to start getting your house in order. And after Isaiah delivers that message, he leaves. And Hezekiah, he turns toward the wall and he begins to cry. And he begins to pray to God. And before Isaiah the prophet could, could leave his palace, God sends him back to Hezekiah with this message. 2 Kings chapter 20 verse 5. He says, I have heard your prayers and seen your, your tears. And he says, and I will watch church. And I will heal you. 
Does prayer make a difference? Absolutely. And so James says, is anyone in trouble? He says, let them pray. But notice what else James says. We also pray because we're grateful. Look at the latter part of verse 13. He says, is anyone happy? He says, let them sing songs of what church? Of praise. Do we have a lot to, to praise God about? Do we have a lot to be thankful about? Just the simple fact that you and I were created by God. We should be thankful for the fact that God gave up His only Son, which we celebrated this morning, for our sins. We should be thankful for our church family. We should be thankful for our individual families. We should be thankful for our daily provision of food, clothing, shelter. And we can just go on and on. We should be thankful for God's Word, which God gives us to lead us and guide our lives. We should be thankful for the Holy Spirit of God that indwells us to help us overcome the, the pull of sin. Man, we have so much to be thankful for. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be become one of those old, bitter, grumbling, ungrateful old men, old men one day. I want to live with gratitude. Social critic Robert Hughes wrote a very influential book on the American society several years ago called The Culture of Complaint. He wrote about how we as Americans can be tempted to think that we're entitled to all kinds of things and when those desires don't get met, that we feel entitled to, that we can begin to feel like victims. And we can start griping. And we can start complaining. We can say things like, I'm thankful, but... I mean, I'm, I'm thankful for my job, but I'm, I'm thankful for my kids. I mean, they're good most of the time, but I'm, I'm thankful for my spouse, but I'm thankful for my church, but... And that kind of ingratitude and that kind of complaining just makes our hearts grow smaller and harder and colder. That kind of ingratitude has led to a culture of discontent and complaining. You know, one of the amazing things about the Apostle Paul is that no matter what he went through, no matter what circumstances he faced in life, whether it was imprisonment or it was beating or it was being hungry or, or just being cold. And, and then we could also talk about him being shipwrecked and, and there was his thorn in the flesh. But no matter what situation he found himself in, he maintained a heart of thankfulness and gratitude. He says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, he says, always be what church? Joyful, never stop what? Praying, but be thankful in what? 
in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. I'm supposed to be thankful in all circumstances? Yes, that's what Paul says. But notice he doesn't say be thankful for all circumstances. Right? We, we're not to be thankful for bad things like accidents or illness. We don't give thanks for cancer or unemployment. We don't give thanks for the tough times. But we learn to give thanks in all circumstances, knowing that God works all things together for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Listen, there's a lot that we can complain about if we choose to. But there is a lot that we can be grateful for if we choose to. And so really, I think a phrase that all of us need to adapt is this phrase, it could be worse. Let's say that on the count of three. One, two, three, it could be worse, right? Next time you're looking at your car that has 160, 180,000 miles on it and you feel like it's worn out and you need a new one but you can't afford it, you look at that car and you say, you know what, it could be worse. Or the next time you're going up a flight of stairs and you have to stop about halfway up the stairs to catch your breath and then you can't remember if you were going up or down. You think to yourself, you know what, it could be worse. Next time you walk into your house and you think about all the furnishings that you don't have and that you would like to have, you think to yourself, what church, it, it could be worse. And tomorrow morning when you roll over and you look at that person who's laying next to you, Cindy, Bless you. It could be worse. One of the most frustrated people, someone once said, on the face of the earth is an atheist who's grateful but doesn't know who to thank. But we know who to thank, right? James tells us back in James chapter 1, verse 17, he says, every good... And perfect gift comes from where, church? It comes from above. It comes from God. We know who to give our praise to. And so James is saying here, if you are happy, if you've got something to be grateful about, thankful about, then praise. Thank God. And so we... We pray, right, because we're in trouble. And we pray because we're grateful. But then third, thirdly, we also need to pray because we need a place of complete honesty. Verse 16, James goes on to say, Therefore, what church? Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We talked about this on several occasions, just how important it, it is to be a part of community. And, and that's one of the reasons why, and you heard me, you've heard me push several times, joining a small group. And I, I hope some of you this year will at least give it a try and, and try and, and join a small group. 
Because there is a tremendous blessing in finding a few people that you can develop a friendship with, that you can have fun with, that you can grow in faith with, that you can really connect with, that you can be totally honest with, that you can take the mask off with and say, you know what, this is who I really am. All of us need some relationships where we can be honest with others like that. And when we are, something therapeutic and even healing happens when we take what was in darkness and we bring it into the light. But sometimes that's really hard to do because there are things in our life that are too deep, that are too embarrassing, that we're too ashamed of. And so oftentimes in our small group or oftentimes here at worship or or oftentimes you'll even see this on, on social media, you'll see people say, I have an unspoken prayer request and really that's just code for I can't tell you what's really going on. But listen, we all need a place of complete honesty. And in prayer, we can be completely honest with God. I'm grateful for the friends that I have, and I I try and be as honest with them as as I possibly can. My, My closest friend is my wife, Julie. She knows more about me than probably anyone else. But there are things that Julie doesn't know about me. There are things that I don't even know about me. God does. He knows me inside and out. He knows my darkest secrets. And I can go to Him and I can be completely honest. I love the passage in Matthew chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. This is Jesus speaking. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone else can see them. In other words, these people, they were praying just to be seen. They were praying so that people would think more highly of them. He says, don't be like people like that. He says, when you pray, he says, I want you to go away by yourself, shut the door. Some of your translations may say, go into your closet and pray to your Father in private. In other words, Jesus says there are times when you need to get get away to where it's just you and God. And you can be completely real. Completely honest. God, this is is the real me. I want to be real with you. Because you know what? Here's the truth of the matter. We can't fake God out, right? I mean, it's one of the things I've discovered is, you know what, I, I can't cover up my sin before God. He, he already knows. In fact, the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, he says, nothing in all creation can hide from Him. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes. And so there may be some things that you're like, man, I don't want God to know this. But He already knows. It's already exposed before Him. And when I try and cover those things up in my own personal life, 
I discovered that it only hinders my relationship with Him. It also keeps me from walking in freedom. And so I pray because I need somewhere to go to talk about my struggles. To unlock the lockbox of my guilt and my shame. I love the song that we sang just a few minutes ago right before we took the Lord's Supper. Jesus is Lord. I think it's the second verse that goes like this. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and grief to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Did you hear that? We can carry, we can actually carry everything to God in prayer. Our doubts, our fears, our failures, our deepest wounds, our deepest secrets. I love what John writes in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and He is just to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. It doesn't matter what it is. We can bring it before Him, knowing that He loves us and that He's faithful to forgive us. And so why pray? Well, because we're in trouble. Why pray? Because we're grateful. Why pray? Because we all need a place of complete honesty. And then don't miss this last point. We pray because it's powerful and effective. James says in verse 16, he says, The prayer of a righteous person is what, church? is powerful and effective. When we pray in our walk with God, listen to me, we're power walking, right? James says that the prayer of a righteous person, and some of you may say, whoa, 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 we'll just stop right there, Slate, because that excludes me. I mean, if, it, if it's the prayers of a righteous person, then, then that takes me out because I'm a sinner. No, listen to me. The only person who is righteous is a person who has been made righteous by the righteousness of Jesus. Amen. The prayer of a person who has been made righteous by Jesus Christ, that's a powerful and effective prayer. And then James even goes on to give an example of this, right? Verse 17, he talks about a guy by the name of Elijah. He says, Elijah was a human being, white church, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now, I know some of you are probably saying, well, I've heard about this Elijah guy. He's a, he's a pretty special guy. I mean, on one occasion, right, he raises the son of a widow who had passed away. I mean, he raised someone from the dead. On another occasion, he calls fire down from, a, from heaven. On another occasion, and probably most of you have heard this story, this is the, the, probably the most popular story about Elijah, is when God took him up to heaven in a chariot of fire. And now we have this example of Elijah praying that it wouldn't rain. 
And I'll kind of explain that. The people of Israel, they had left God and they had started worshiping all these false gods or false idols. And so Elijah prays that it wouldn't rain to turn their hearts back to God. And it didn't rain. Imagine this for three and a half years. Can you imagine what that place looked like? And then once God got their attention, Elijah prayed again and God gave rain and the earth produced its crops once again. Some of you are thinking, man, that's a, that's a pretty big resume, Slate. Raising someone from the dead, calling fire down from, from heaven. I mean, this guy was definitely a special guy and yet... James is hammering home in verse 17. No, you don't understand. Elijah's a guy. He's, he's human, just like us. But what we're tempted to do oftentimes is to look at people in the Bible who God does amazing things through, and we're tempted to say they're, they're, they're just special. They have this elite class of faith. They're different than us. And we can begin to assume that that kind of powerful prayer is something that can't happen with us. But James is saying no powerful, effective prayer is for all who walk with God, not just an elite few. And so if you're facing some sort of personal drought in your life right now, and you need God to move in a powerful way, I just want to encourage you to pray earnestly. The prayers of a righteous person made righteous by Jesus Christ are powerful and effective. Now, I want to close out this morning. I know I'm out of time, but I've got to share this story with you. Tony Capallo, he tells this story. Um, if you don't know Tony Capallo, he is a preacher. He's also a professor, writer, but anyway... He tells this story about a time when he was asked to speak at a Christian college at their chapel. And he says he shows up and these eight guys, they take him into a back room, they get him to get down on his knees, and these eight guys lay their hands on his head and they all began to pray for him. And he said, listen, I love for people to pray for me, but he said, these guys, these eight guys prayed for a long time. And he said, the longer they prayed, the weaker they got. And the weaker they got, the more pressure they put on my head. And so he said, when eight guys are leaning on your head, it doesn't feel good. And he said, and one of these guys wasn't even praying for me. He said, he went on praying, about, praying for some guy by the name of Charlie Stolfus. Dear Lord, you know Charlie, he said. He lives in a silver trailer down the road about a, about a mile. You know the trailer, Lord, just down the road on the right-hand side. And Capallo said, I felt like telling the guy, could you knock it off? Do you really think that God's up there saying, hey, could you give me that address again? But the guy kept going on. Lord Charlie told me this morning that he decided to leave his wife and three kids. He walked out on his family, Lord. Please step in and do something. Bring that family back together again. Capallo said, I sat there asking myself, when is this guy going to end? So that I can get these guys off of my head. But he said the guy just kept praying about Charlie Stolfus leaving his wife and his kids and living in the silver trailer a mile down the road on the right-hand side. He said, finally, he finished. 
And he said, I got up, I preached, and after I finished, I got in my car and I drove down the Pennsylvania Turnpike and headed for home. He said, as I drove onto the Turnpike, I picked, picked up a hitchhiker. He said, now I know that you're not supposed to pick them up, but I'm a preacher, and so whenever I can lock in a captive audience, I do it. Well, Capallo said, hi, my name's Tony Capallo. What's your name? The guy said, hi, my name is Charlie Stolfus. Capallo said, I couldn't believe it. He said, I got off the turnpike and at the next exit started heading back. And the guy got uneasy with that and he asked me, he says, hey, mister, he says, where are you taking me? Capallo says, I'm taking you home. He narrowed his eyes and he asked why. Capallo said, because you just left your wife and your three kids. He said, that blew him away. Then I really pulled one on him. With shock written all over his face, I pulled up into his own driveway. His eyes just lit up. He said, how did you know that I live here? Capallo said, God told me. And Capallo said, I believe he did. He said they got out of the car and Capallo ordered him to go back into the trailer. The guy, shaking at this point, knocked on the door. His wife answered and said, you're back. He began to whisper in her ear and the more he whispered, the wider her eyes got. Then Capallo said, with real authority, I told them to sit down and listen. And boy, did they listen. That afternoon, Charlie Stolfus and his wife both decided to become followers of Jesus and decided to work on their marriage. Later, Charlie even became a preacher himself. Power of prayer. I've seen some amazing things. Things that I've prayed about personally. And it seems like in those moments, I find myself asking, why don't I pray more? I mean, what could God do if I spent more time talking to Him? Mark chapter 11, verse 17, Jesus says, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Not a house of business, not a house of many activities, not a house of clever ideas, or any other thing that may be good. No, Jesus says, my house will be called a house of prayer. And it's no wonder because when we place ourselves in the stream of the mighty power of God, when we pray, amazing things happen. You won't find a church anywhere who has devoted themselves to regular, consistent, humble, honest prayer that says they they regretted doing that later. A church cannot be torn apart by strife or gossip or dissension when it's devoted to prayer. Never will you find a sincere follower of Jesus who says at the end of his life, you know what, I I, I wish I hadn't have spent so much time in prayer. Why? Because prayer is where we encounter the living God. Think about this. What if we started praying, all of us, five minutes a day? 
What if we started praying five more minutes a day? What could God do in our lives, in our relationships, in our families, at school, in our nation? What, what could God do with this little small church? If we would take the time to pray. I told you in that first lesson, I wanted to challenge us this year to study our Bibles more than we ever have. And I want to encourage all of us today to pray more than we ever have. And James has given us some good reasons why. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for letting us be here today just to worship you, just to spend time with you, Father. We need this. We, we may not realize it. I know we get so busy and, and we're so distracted by, by so many things, but if we're honest deep down inside, man, we know this is where we need to be. Just spending time with you. In our minds, we may think as we talk to you in prayer that it doesn't change things. But we know for sure that when we spend time with you, it changes us. And sometimes, God, that's just what we need. We need to change ourselves. And so, God, I just pray that you'd be with us, all of us this year, through the power of your Holy Spirit, just pray that you would help us to overcome the temptations that we face on a daily basis, whether it's with our attitude or our tongue or the things that we watch. Father, please just be with us and help us every single day to look more like you. Help us to be in your word more. Help us to spend more time with you in prayer. And Father, we just pray that you'll continue to shower us with your presence. We thank you for your presence today. And Father, if there's anyone who's watching online or if there's anyone in this audience today that needs to repent of something, Father, help them to, to turn away from that sin in their life. Or if there's someone today who needs to take that first step, they need to be baptized into Christ having their sins washed away, pray that you would give them the courage to step out into the aisle or to reach out and contact me and, and do that this year. But Father, we're just asking you to be with us. We're asking you to do big things through us, individually, but as a church as well. And Father, we just pray this prayer in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. If there's someone who needs to respond this morning, if there's something you need to repent of, or if there's someone today who needs to begin their walk with Jesus by putting on Christ in baptism, having your sins completely washed away, Acts 2.38, Acts 2.22, verse 16. If we can encourage you in the Lord in any way, please let us know as together we stand and sing.